from the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey. This is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Thursday, January 3rd, 2019. Also known as the start of conference play in the MAC Conference for Quinnipiac Men's Basketball. We are joined here by um, a man who will be covering a lot of these games from Q30 Sports, the Quinnipiac TV Network, Josh Silverman. Hello, sir. Hey, Jeremy, how are you? I am good. Um, really interesting situation here. QU comes in, um, having a, a, a long break. They've been off uh, since December twenty second. They're five and six overall. They're three and two at home, two and three on the road, zero and one at a neutral site. We all heard the interview I did with Baker Dunleavy after the Dartmouth win. Uh, which was uh, Rich Kelly's first game back. They had a great last five minutes to win it. They got momentum. They they beat Lafayette by 11 in a game that they controlled for most of. But then they were 1-2 and two the rest of the way. They lost to Drexel by 5. They they just completely dominated uh, 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 sorry Bethune-Cookman by 24 and lost a tight one to Stony Brook um, going 0-2 in that series. It was an interesting end in the sense that when they played well coming out of the gate, which is something that Coach talked to me about, we've got to start better. We've got to get off to better starts, be more efficient, be on it from the first minute, not having to play catch-up. When they did that, they played well in those four games. When they didn't, they struggled. And for me, when you get in the conference play, all these rough edges need to be smoothed out. All these problems need to be fixed. And I'm very interested to see, after this long break, how they play against Manhattan tonight. It's an interesting test. They should win this game. But it's an interesting test to see how sharp they are out of the gate. And those first five minutes could tell a lot like they have all year. Yeah, just going off Manhattan really quick, I don't really see them losing this game at all. Vegas, you know, Bovada has them as a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. So that's telling, you know, Vegas agrees with both of us that they should win the game tonight. I think that this break is... Is good. Another thing that you mentioned is you know, about the growing pains is Rich Kelly being out for those five games, I think kind of brought the team together and allowed them to find themselves when they have to go through adversity and they're not able to have everything go according to plan and have their floor general and, and everything like that. So I, I think they've grown through the out-of-conference schedule. They've won some games. They've lost some close ones. But overall, I think that their out-of-conference schedule prepared them for conference play, which is what you wanted to do. And um, the other thing that I'm looking at from just a, a broad perspective, and, and, and let me get your take on this, QU averaged during non-conference play 13 turnovers per game. They had 146 um, uh, total. I just, they, they have made at times some ill-advised passes, some ill-advised shot choices. Having Rich Kelly back obviously helps that because he is so much the table setter for them. Um, and and coach even said that on on the um, on the podcast. Just having him back sets up their whole offense right. It gets everybody playing the correct positions that they should be. Um, but cutting down on turnovers, especially for a game like on Saturday when you're playing Ryder, um, who is projected number one, as as, as you just said offhand, um, uh, off air. Sorry to. Um, to be the number one um, uh, a team in, in the conference in the preseason poll, you've got to be efficient against teams like that, and you can't be having stupid turnovers. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they started out the season at Villanova, who we all know is a defending NCAA champ. They had 13 turnovers in that game, so it wasn't too bad. They had 20 at New Hampshire, which they still somehow won. That's an egregious number, but then they only had eight a few games ago, so obviously Rich coming back allowed everyone to kind of go back to their natural positions and limited the turnovers and increase those just numbers. So, you know, when you head into conference fights, teams are familiar again, so you kind of know what to do. I, I don't expect them to have turnover troubles as long as they're able to stay healthy and stick to the game plan. Um, it, it's not something that is overly concerning unless it continues into conference play at a very high clip. Um, so you tweeted out two hours ago, this is Josh M. Silverman for those interested, um, uh, 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 about Kevin Marfo. And, I, and, and to me, he's been a menace on the boards, and he is an interior presence that they really don't have. He has to stay out of foul trouble during conference play. Yeah, I mean, it's the same problem that you know, most bigs kind of do have. And again, he's, he's absolutely cleaned up the glass. He's very physical, and oftentimes that does result in a foul or two, but I think if he's able to limit it and, and sort of able to figure out the big in the conference, then that, the limitness of the fouls will come into play, and he just got to keep doing what he's doing because at the end of the day, you know, you, you got five fouls in college, but if you're able to get as many rebounds as you can, then picking up a couple fouls in the process, as long as you're able to stay in the game, is, is what he's meant to do and what he's trying to do on the court. Leads the conference in rebounds and leaves in conference in a stat that I didn't even know existed. Total rebound percentage, which is, as you say, the percentage of available rebounds a player grabbed while he was on the floor. I, I, I am totally putting you on the spot here. How is that calculated? Any idea how they calculate that? Is that is that like, you know, you... You were the inside guy going for the rebound and you missed it? Or is it that while you were on the floor, blank amount of shots were missed and you got the highest percentage of those rebounds? I, I believe it's the latter. From, okay. from what I know in college basketball reference and all the basketball football references sites are, are amazing. I love going there for stats. And so, you know, the number is 23.8. And I think that is, you know, almost 24% of all the missed shots. While Kevin Marco is on the court, he gets that percent of the rebound. So not only, you know, obviously if you're playing a team and they make almost all their shots, you're not going to be able to get as many rebounds. So it's not only does he have the most amount of rebounds while he's on the court, he gets more rebounds per shot attempt than any other player in the conference. That makes sense. Um, one of the things that was interesting in my chat with, with Coach Dunleavy was about Cameron Young, who is only shooting... Um, well, now he's up to 40% of the field. He was worse at the time when we did this interview. He has played better in the last couple of games. He's averaging 18-4 a game. Um, in, in, in so much of this, um, and, and by the way, his, his, his field goal percentages have gotten a lot better, even though he's been um, slightly held down in points. He's been, since, the, since Rich Kelly went full-time, he's been 21-28-14-18-21, and he'd struggled a bit against um, uh, Stony Brook, only going 4 of 10 from 3. But he seems to be getting back to his ways, and he, A, is, 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 is the best player on the team, period. But, but number two, um, if he's off, like he was at times earlier this year. Take the UMass game when he was 0 of 8 um, 
from from the field with seven points. It just messes up their whole system and it puts a lot of pressure on guys like Jacob Ragoni to pick up the slack. When excuse me, when 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 he is flowing like he can flow and like you and I have both seen over the years, it just it makes everything else in the offense work better. Yeah, I mean, Cam is a special talent. He, especially in the mid range and driving to the basket, he's able to get his shot. He's able, you know, he's six seven or six six. You know, I've heard different things from him and Baker and whatever. You know, around the same, he's able to get rebounds, steals, blocks, or he's able to do a lot of it. You know, sometimes he takes himself mentally out of the game. You know, you'll see him with his head down, but he's always there and, and he's always shooting. He's got confidence in his shot. And Rich being back is huge. Not only is Rich a phenomenal passer and able to get Cam his looks, but Rich is a great shooter himself, so defenses have to now game plan for another fantastic shooter. Rich has also helped Jacob Rigoni get more involved. I mean, Rigoni won the three-game span between Stony Brook, Dartmouth, and Lafayette without hitting a three. Since then, he's hit four in the last three games, so you know, he's able to do... Rich is able to get everyone involved, and then Cam is able to hit his shots and get Jacob Rigoni more involved, and Everyone is kind of just meshing together. It, it it's really um, it's really interesting how this is all kind of 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 come together once Rich is back, and and it's it's crazy how you look at one guy um, as, as 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 such an important piece, but that's that's what Rich is to this team. We're talking to uh, Q thirty, the Quinnipiac TV stations. Uh, Josh Silverman here as QU men's basketball starts conference play tonight against Manhattan. Um, on the road, two straight road games to, to start against Manhattan, and Ryder before coming home from Monmouth, who I believe is still winless on the year. Um, which I mean, the, the fall of Monmouth. This is this is totally off topic, but the fall of Monmouth, and, and yes, they are still. Um, Oh, okay. They they finally won. They finally beat somebody. Who who did they beat? They beat somebody to go one and twelve and out of conference play. They beat in overtime. Penn at Penn. Um, their fall has been remarkable over the last couple of years. I mean, they they went from being a, a, a an NCAA tournament uh, scrub, uh, sorry snub, to being you know um, you know stuck at the bottom. Yeah, I mean. They were the, my first year in college, you know, covering Quinnipiac when I was a freshman was the year of the bench mob and everyone was so enamored by that and I remember people thinking that they were snub and honestly I, I thought they were that year in terms of not winning the conference and also not getting the at-large bid. So since then it, it's really been a little bit of a collapse and you know they haven't been able to find their way or anything and you know, last year was, was more of that and it looks like this year is more of the same. All right. Um... I want to talk about Aaron Robinson for a second. He is such... I mean, he only averages 27 minutes a game, um, which is, for the non-starters, I believe that's the most... Uh, this math is not adding up. Well, well part of this was, was because of, of, uh, of uh, Kelly being out. But the bottom line is, he gives you quality minutes, quality shots. Um, he averages only six a game, but they always tend to be quality shots. Um, you know, he, he grabs three boards. Um, he just, it, 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 he does a lot of things that just don't show up on the stat sheet, I feel like. I, I feel like when he comes in the game, it's a boost, and he just always seems to hit a three at the exact time they need a three to be hit. Yeah, I mean, so he, he's connected on 16 shots from behind the arc this year. I'd say probably 
seven or eight of those shots have been clutch shots, maybe not in the last minute or two, but with five minutes left, we could get down nine, and now they're down six with momentum, and he also always has a smile on his face. He always wants to guard the other team's best player. He's always willing to do whatever he needs to do, so, you know, when he hits the shot, I feel like the crowd and the team responds with a little more emphasis, just because he is that, that player that always is glowing, and, you know, everyone loves to love, and so for him, you know, I... He's dipped a bit the last couple of games. He's now at 29% from three, so it's not where he wants to be. He knows he's a better three-point shooter than that, so do I. But his shots come at such pivotal times that you got to give him minutes, especially late in games. What would trip up this team? As you look at it right now, as we take a step back before asking um, s- some other questions about this team, just l- let's just take a 30,000-feet view for a second. What could trip up this team in your mind? Besides somebody getting hurt. I guess being young, you know, even Cam Young, who is a grad student, it's really only his second year playing college ball. Rich Kelly's a sophomore. Jacob Bergoni's a sophomore. Travis Aston, it's his first year on the team. Terese Williams is a sophomore. Ty Pickron's a sophomore. Kevin Marco, it's his first year on the team. So, I'd like Boone and Aaron Robinson. At the same point, I don't see the youth really tricking, you know, coming into play because Baker Dunleavy is such a good coach. It's the second year, and I think coaching can kind of offset inexperience. So, you know, but Baker Dunleavy's young. He comes from a great program at Villanova, learning under Jay Wright. So I guess you could say the inexperience or an injury, but that can kind of be said with any team. I, I think what can trip them up is just not being as talented as Ryder. You know, I could see Quinnipiac losing the conference championship to Ryder just because Ryder is the better team. And so I don't know that that's necessarily being tripping up, but when you're picked to finish third in the conference, you know, tied for third with Iona, I think that's about where they'll finish. Uh, we're talking to Josh Silverman here about uh, Quinnipiac basketball. Any word on Nathan Davis or Andrew Robinson? Um, on my podcast, Baker said February, let's try that again, February or, or sometime in, in, in early conference play was the most likely return. Obviously, we've had this break and you've been off campus. Any idea? Any further idea on, on, on Nathan or Andrew? Uh, nothing at this point, nothing since your podcast, but we'll be up there a week from today to cover those games, so hopefully, you know, we'll see if Andrew goes tonight. If not, you know, we know Nathan's not going to play tonight, so we'll get an update on both of them when, uh, hopefully when we go up there next week. It's interesting. Nathan, um, um, has been practicing and and has I, I believe he had the contact shirt taken off so it seems like they're just trying to work him back in and as you and I know there's a whole difference between healthy and basketball shape and you don't want to rush somebody back in who's not in basketball shape especially when you have enough bodies as is um, n- not n- not that they couldn't use Nathan Davis but I think he, you you get my point that they want to do this. Um, smartly and, and get and get and get Nathan back in there when he's physically ready to to play tough minutes in conference play because conference play is a lot of grinding. It's not it's not pretty at times. It's a lot of grinding, and if you're physically not ready for that, there's no point in putting you in there. Yeah, I think there's a right way to bring a player back in the wrong way, and I think they've been very cautious with Nathan, rightfully so. Like you said, they have the body to do so, especially if Andrew Robinson does come back at some point, so you know, there's no reason to rush it. It's not like, you know, they've lost him at a certain point this season. They you know, played all of last year without him and all of this year, so it's not like, you know, if someone who's playing were to go down, they'd have to redo the game plan. The game plans have been set without him, 
So, you know, we wish him a, a speedy recovery, but other than that, I, I don't think there's any rush to come back. And it's not anything against him. It's just that Quinnipiac has what they have and they're comfortable with it. So when he comes back, it'll be an added bonus. But as of right now, there's no reason to rush it at all. Who has surprised you most? Uh, who surprised me the most this year? Well, I'm, I'm happy to see that Cam Young has been shooting better as of late. He's up to 37, almost 38% from three. Who surprised me the most? I'd probably say... Tyrese Williams, he's had games where he hasn't played that well, you know, in the beginning and then the last game. But other than that, he had, he had a couple games where he had double-digit points back-to-back-to-back-to-back. And he was just rolling. And as he's able to shoot, is just another great player on the court. So, you know, for him to be a freshman and step into that role, it's just great to see someone like that, you know, for the Bobcats play so well. And to Baker's point, he's back now in his natural position, which is the two, and he's gone since... Um, uh, since Rich Kelly went full-time, 10, 16, 12, 10, and 1. And, and, and by the way, for those who have not kept up on this team, Rich Kelly came back against Stony Brook but only played limited minutes. So that's why we're saying full-time here because there's a difference between Rich starting and, and, um, and Rich playing. What is your observations of Baker Dunleavy? He, he to me, has seemed like a really... Nice guy. He's been great to me on the radio. Um, he's been great to, to talk to about this team. Um, what is your observations both of his coaching and then B, just in general, of, of him the person? So of the coaching, so I've talked to players that you know, have been there under the Tom Moore era now or playing under Baker, and they just say it's a lot different that Baker's instruction, and it's not anything against Tom Moore, but that Baker's instructions and his IQ of the game is just so, you know, he's just able to convey it so well to the players. And I've seen him, you know, kind of stop practice and, and not in a malicious way or in a way of calling someone out, but being like, you know, I don't want to name any player because there's not one example that comes right. to mind, but he'll stop practice and kind of walk a player through something and say, look, this is what we want to do and kind of show it to the whole team. They always end the huddle with one, two, three attitude, which I love because attitude is a huge aspect of winning games. And just, you know, Baker Dunleavy, the person, is always great to the media. He's been great to us. I've done some wacky interviews with him, and I've done some serious ones. And whether it's after a loss or, or after a win or just in his office, you know, he's always great to us and, you know, giving great insight, which we always, you know, love because not only are we trying to cover the team, but we're trying to learn about the team. So he, he's great with us and having players really shine. And, and I think last year is a testament to what, He's able to do, and I think it's only he's only going to improve the program the longer he's here. Um, what's interesting about that, and and you talk about bouncing back after losses, I think that's the Jay Wright part in him. I think that's a a having a basketball family, and the fact that he's been around losses his whole life, and B. When you play against Nova, any sorry 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 um, uh, a coach at Nova. Any loss is treated like, oh my God, you lost. I mean, look at how Duke was treated after Gonzaga uh, uh, um, beat them. Um, right. um, I, th- I think that was a month ago um, by now. It's, it's national news. So I think you get a different perspective of, oh, okay, wait a second. We're not on a big stage. We can afford to lose games. We can bounce back. Nobody's expecting us to be perfect. We can recover, learn, and progress. Yet players sometimes take a loss as the worst thing that could ever happen to them. When you and I both know that it's not about how you lose. It's it's how well well it, it technically can be how you lose, but it's how you bounce back. 
And that I think is, is a huge part of it. And I go back to my story and I've told this, I think on the air, when I met him for the first time in person last year at St. Peter's, they got run out of the building by St. Peter's. They were out of that game in the first four or five minutes. St. Peter's hit every shot they attempted. Um, I mean, they could have had their scrubs in there and those shots would have gone in. I mean, it was just insane. Um, and I found that after the game, he was also sick. And he came out after the game, out of the locker room, after getting blown the bleep out by St. Peter's and said, hey, thank you for coming. Thanks for the support. Thanks for me having it on the podcast. Um, he said, I'm, I'm sick. I have a stomach bug, so I will just fist pump you because I want to shake his hand. And, and he still gave me 90 seconds while feeling like absolute crap. And apparently they had a bucket on the bench for him all game because they thought that, you know, there would be a need for that thing. Um, that's how sick he was, apparently. Um, it, I, I, and, and, and that, to me, speaks about the character of somebody. Like, if you're going to still meet somebody who's come to talk to you, even when you feel like absolute crap, it says a lot about your character. I, I agree. And, you know, he, after, you know, they lost in the Mac tournament last year, we got whatever the 10 minutes with the with the players and the coaches and then he came off to the side and gave us another probably 15 20 minutes his family was there season was over he was ready to go home i assume you know, i don't know what he was feeling but I, I can't imagine he was with you know wanted to keep talking about it and everything like that but he did and i think that was a, a huge moment for him and and for us to kind of see the respect that he gave us after covering the team the team all year and back to the losses, you know, he knows Rome wasn't built in a day. That's such a cliche, but it's true, especially here. I mean, I've seen since he was hired the rise in fandom. I mean, it's not where it should be. It's not where the hockey team is, but people are starting to take notice of the basketball team and the attendance, I feel like, and it's starting to go up. And I think, you know, he knows that it was going to be a challenge and that they've already progressing. And in my mind, they've exceeded the expectations of where they should be a year and a half into his tenure. We would be remiss to not mention the women's basketball team that has done something that I, excuse me, wow, sorry about that, folks, that I think deserves so much more respect than it's getting. Trish Fabry has continually given them a very tough out-of-conference schedule. They're playing up because they know they are the best team in the MAC and that they need to be ready for the NCAA tournament. It is a different way of scheduling yourself. And they played Texas, which was ranked 10th at the time. They played the University of Missouri in a tournament, which was ranked 21 or 18, depending on what poll you were looking at. They faced Central Michigan. They have continued to up their schedule. They faced Princeton, who has played in the NCAA tournament. And, and they did it, Josh, by having their first seven games on the road. And three of them in a, in a tournament. And as I tweeted, people do not realize that when you are at these tournaments, these early season tournaments, where you play concession games, you will play... Uh, sorry, uh, uh, sorry, consolation. Sorry, concession would be way different. <laughs> uh, consolation games. When you're playing you know, to, to finish seventh, and you have no time to prep for these teams, some of them could be very good, especially if they were upset. And you've got to scramble, basically, to get your team ready. And to play seven straight games in a row, three in a tournament in Florida, not be home around Thanksgiving, um, 
I think that that team, the record may look different than what a lot of fans are used to, but that has prepped them for the MAC, and I think they're going to roll once they get going here. A, because of their talent. B, because of what the MAC Women's Basketball Conference is. But C, if there's anything that'll prep you for the rigors of conference play, it is having seven straight road games to open the season with with little prep time for three of them. Yeah, I mean, what this team is able to accomplish in the last couple of years has been astonishing. I mean, back-to-back tournament of not only appearances, but victories. They played UConn last year and, and were able to kind of stick with them until halftime. Obviously, everyone knows what UConn is and that powerhouse. And just, I, they've, got, they've really earned a lot of respect from coaches, not only obviously around the conference, but in the entire NCAA, I mean, we heard Gino Ariamba talk about it last year, just, you know, how much respect he has for Trisha Fabry and the whole whole program at Quinnipiac. And, you know, he looks to get a 30-second straight conference victory tonight. It's just an absurd number, obviously, getting back, you know, a year. And, and so just there's no reason to think this year will be any different. They're not shooting as well this year. Jen Faye's not really shooting as well as she has. And same with Aaron McClure, but at the same point, it's out of conference. It's been tough opponents. It, there's no reason to think that Quinnipiac won't be back in the NCAA tournament this year, you know, on the women's side. Um, you guys, as a entity, are always churning out interesting content. The, the Quinnipiac sports media landscape is churning out interesting content. Um, this is free promotion, just absolute free promotion. If there's anything you want to promote, if there's anything you want people to tune in for, if there's anything you want people to read, if there's anything you want people to listen to, Say it. Uh, you know, like you said, we've been off for a while. I was, you know, away with my family, spending some nice time with them. So nothing as of right now. But next week we're sending up some basketball reporters, some hockey reporters. So, you know, this time next week we'll be covering four games in four days with the men's team playing home on Thursday and Sunday for basketball and the men's hockey team playing home Friday and Saturday. So look for a lot of stuff then on Q30TV.com. Um, and that is where you can find the content. Josh, every time I have somebody come on the radio show for the or sorry, radio show and their podcast for the first time, I ask them a question that has nothing to do with anything we've just talked about and is completely random. I'm excited. So uh, you have no idea what's coming, right? I have, I have not prepped you on this. Yeah. I, have, I have not prepped you on this. So um, here we go. And, 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 and this is totally rated G. I'm not looking to, you know delve into anybody's personal lives. That's not the point. I just like to ask offbeat questions because I'm an offbeat guy. How do you pick what color tie you're wearing for a certain game? Ooh, you know, it's funny that you kind of mentioned that. I guess I've kind of developed a look where I wear the jacket with no tie, which I love that that's kind of what people have come to expect from me, not necessarily on air, but for covering games or doing other small segments. But I do wear a tie a lot, and I think a lot of it has to do with the shirt and the jacket. I also, I'm a huge creature of habit, so I have a couple ties that I go to a lot. I have, obviously, the black tie, which I wear with a white shirt. I have a red and blue kind of striped tie, which I wear with a lot of my blue shirts, and actually a lot of my shirts are blue. I know a lot of guys like to make fun of me for that. Um, So those, you know, I have those. I have a, a plain blue tie. It kind of has to do with the shirt. And how adventurous I'm feeling. You know, I have a purple bow tie that I've only worn once or twice covering a game. That's kind of special occasion, I guess. I don't know what dictates special occasion, but that, you know, I, it 
it's kind of random. It's kind of being a creature of habit and liking the ties that go with certain shirts. Final question. Um, where is this team start of the MAC tournament? This team at the start of the MAC tournament, I have them as, I, assuming everyone stays healthy, not only on this team, but, you know, in terms of teams around the conference, I, I think they, they at least get a first round bye, probably are the four seed. I think they might lose a game or two that they maybe they're not supposed to while also snagging like one game. Um, so I'll have them as the four seed with the possibility of being the three or the five. Josh Silverman, uh, this has been great. Thank you, Josh Silverman from Q30 Sports with the Quinnipiac TV station on campus, previewing uh, QU men's and women's basketball, which both start conference play tonight. The men are at Manhattan, and, and the women are home for Fairfield, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. You will be back during the season. Looking forward to it. Of course, I'm looking forward to it too, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to all of you out there, and thank you for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.